0: Well, good morning, everyone. (laughs) I I know, right? Uh, (laughs) Some of you have never thought you would see the day where I would wear a jersey in uh, church, Uh, or especially if you would have thought I would wear any jersey, it would be a football jersey. But as all of you know, our 13-year-old son, Hudson, is a rabid, die-hard Leaf fan, as only a 13-year-old can be. And last night, as he told me, was the single best night of his life. So, yeah, for all you Leaf fans out there, this is all for you. And now, obviously, I am a Leaf fan. I mean, although this jersey has not been worn since it was probably purchased when I was about 13, okay? <laughs> As you can kind of see, it's a little bit old. Eden told me today, she's like, Dad, that looks kind of like a hand-me-down. I'm like, oh, it is, honey. It is. (laughs) It is. Uh, It really hasn't been worn all that much since the last time the Leafs progressed, which was (laughs) 2004, in case anyone was tracking. So this was a good night last night. And if you're not a Leaf fan, uh, we accept everyone. So there you go with that. So with that, I want to jump into what we're talking about here today. That we're in the midst of a series just looking at how do we do some spring cleaning in our lives? And by that we mean something really specific. How do we make our lives like tidier, better, holer, deeper, right? That w- this is kind of the season where we're sensing like new things, new possibilities, all of that, right? And so what we want to explore then is how might we actually bring some of that idea to our own personal lives? How can we tidy them up and clean them up to make them better in Um, All sorts of different areas. And so we looked already at our relationships. That was the last two weeks We looked at how can we make our relationships better? And we really explored if you want to have better relationships, you need two things you need both agreeableness and also responsibility Those two things will make your relationships better and your life better And so we took a look at that And then today I want to open up a topic that in some ways can be quite uncomfortable in some ways I struggle with discussing to begin with but it's something that affects all of us so today I wanna to talk a little bit about money and finances and generosity. How does that sound for people today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, now we're less sure, okay? Now we're less sure. And I get that response, I get that response. Because in many ways, we can be honest in church, amen? amen? Okay, we can be honest in church. In many ways, talking about money can be awkward and difficult, right? It can be awkward and difficult. Whether we are having struggles with money, whether we feel just like self-conscious with it, and can we just be really honest with this? The church has talked about money in terrible ways. Anyone want to say amen to that? Right? We've often done it in a really poor way. So today, I do want to talk about it, though, because this is also just true. Money affects all of us, doesn't it? It affects all of us. It affects all of our lives, whether you have a lot or a little, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. It affects all of us. So I think it's important for us to talk about, if we're going to have better, Healthier, more whole lives. We can't do that while ignoring the topic of finances and money. Okay, we just can't. So, because I'm not—I don't know—I'm sure you've noticed this. Has anyone else noticed that everything just costs way more right now? Right? Like your favorite bag of chips from No Frills uh, is Ruffles, onion and sour cream and onion. Right? They're like five bucks a bag now. <laughs> this is at No Frills. Right? Like, like when well you want to know the honest reason why I'm not upgrading this jersey. It's, it's because how much stuff costs, right? Like it just, it is. It's more, right? Added into that fact, added into that fact, the governments come out with some statistics, and essentially what they're saying is this: is that 48% of Canadians have lost sleep in the past year over finances, right? They've also said uh, 46% of people say that if they wouldn't receive their paycheck on time, they would have trouble covering their bills. So the reality is, is that money is affecting all of us, right? It does. So we should probably talk about it, even if it's a little bit uncomfortable. Anyone wanna just say amen to that? That's where we're at today, okay? And so today what I wanna do is we're gonna start off uh, talking about money this week and also next week, and what we're gonna explore really is two things. Today I wanna share with you what I think the biblical approach to money, to finances, to all of that is, and then next week we're gonna give you some really practical tips on how to manage your money, manage your finances in a way that would bring more freedom, okay? So today we're gonna take a look at kind of the Bible's overall idea of things, and then we're also gonna take a look next week really practically at how to live and manage our money and our finances better. And I know, as I said, this might be uncomfortable. If it's your first Sunday, you might be like, oh no, right? Especially to kind of walk into this. But I think it does matter for us. So I want to be upfront. I'm going to share with you, uh, first of all, there is no uh, offering happening in case you're wondering or worried about that. Okay, that's not happening. And I do want to share with you, though, what I think the Bible's perspective is when it comes to money, is when it comes to finances, about how we should live. Okay, and here's what I think the Bible teaches as a whole. That we, as people, should be open and generous people. I think this is the perspective that the Bible brings to money and to finances, that we should be open and generous people. Or to put it slightly differently, I believe that if we're going to do a spring cleaning in our lives, right, especially in terms of our finances, we need to cultivate a spirit of generosity and to get rid of a spirit of greed, that that's what we need. I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but our culture only teaches us greed, but this is just true. Greed will kill all of your relationships. It doesn't make anything better. What actually helps is generosity. You already know this, I'm sure like deep down, because you have never met, I'm sure of this, you have never met somebody who is totally greedy, all about themselves, like miserly hoarding and penny-pinching, and thought to yourself, wow, I'd like to be like them, right? Like you don't think that. You might sometimes want when somebody has, but you don't want to live like them, right? Because it actually isn't healthy. What we know, almost intuitively, is that the way to live in life is with generosity. That we're not moved through stories of greed, but we are moved when somebody is generous, when we receive something that's unexpected, right? That generosity is the path that leads to life. And this should be really, really clear. Because what's the opposite of generosity, if you start to think about it? Selfishness and greed, isn't it? Like, that doesn't lead you forward. That doesn't bring health to your life. That doesn't make your relationships better. So today I want to talk about generosity and how we can live uh, in and out of generosity Then next week we're going to take a look at things really practically I want to begin by just sharing with you why I think we should live generous lives I'm going to share with you from the Bible what the Bible's kind of perspective on this And here's the first reason why I think that we should live generous lives I think this is obvious I think it's in many ways really clear and simple But we forget it almost too often And this is just true Our God is a generous God, amen? Amen he's a generous God. Generosity, follow with me, generosity is not just the activity of God. It's not just something he does. Generosity is a part of his nature, his being, and who he is. That our God is generous. Our God is generous. Our God is not stingy. Our God does not withhold things. Our God is good and generous, and this matters immensely. Listen to this verse in James, and there's many other verses, but just listen to how James puts it. It says this, Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Somebody says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. What this passage reminds us of that we are so prone to forget in our greed and selfish world that we live in, is that all that is good, we receive from whom? From God. Every good and perfect gift we receive, anything that is good, the ultimate source, is from God. God is the one who gives that to us. God is the one who shares that with us. That our God is a good and generous God. And notice the end of the verse, it's really clear too, that this aspect of God will never change. This is a part of who he is. It's not shifting and changing like shadows. No, 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 our God is a good, generous God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And I think we would know this, too, if we just reflect on who God is as well. Because one of the things that we see with God is that, like, the uh, the biggest kind of moment with who he is is obviously at the cross, and what we see there is that God is so good and generous with giving us his deep love, right, that he doesn't withhold things from us, he seeks to give them to us. The Apostle John puts it this way in 1 John 3.1, he says this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God that God actually doesn't withhold things. He lavishes his love upon us, right? He gives to us out of his uh, generosity, right? He doesn't kind of hold things back or isn't stingy, that our God is generous. So what this really means for us at a really simple baseline, but I think matters for us to reflect on, is that if God is generous, we should be generous as well, right? If God lives this way, this is how we are also called to live. And we know this almost intuitively, as I said, because somebody who is selfish isn't someone you want to be like. That will not lead to life for you or for anyone around you. Instead, the way forward is the path of generosity. And this is actually what the Bible speaks of in many different places. I'll read to you a few different verses that give you just a sense of this. Um, In Proverbs, we read this. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Now this needs to be clear in Proverbs whenever we are interpreting it. Proverbs does not teach promises. Proverbs teaches principles. Those are two different things, okay? But this is obviously true if you are stingy, if you are closed off, if you refuse to ever share it with anyone, that's not going to lead you to life. The verse continues, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed, right? Because we'll be living like God in that way, godly, right? Because God is generous, so if we live in that way, we'll be refreshed. Or in Proverbs 19, we read this, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. Because this is just clear throughout all of the Bible. God is always on the side of the poor and marginalized. Always. Always. Right? And so when we then lend to them, when we are actually generous to others, right, that God will repay us. Listen to Psalm 112, verse 5. Good will come to those who are generous. Anyone want to say amen to that? Right? Good will come to those who are generous. And you should say amen to that. Because this is what you want in our world. Amen? Right? We want people to be generous. Would that not make our world a better place? Yeah. Right? If people are focused on what can I do to help others rather than what can I gain for myself? Right? That's the perspective of the Bible. That this is about other people, not just us. It's not just amassing things for us. It's actually sharing with generosity. Jesus could not be clearer in multiple places. He says this in Matthew 10, verse 8. Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. I think the problem is, is that we so often forget that we have freely received. We are so often unaware of so much of the gratefulness that God has given to us. We often think that we have almost earned every good thing that happens to us, right? But that's not really the Bible's perspective. It's different. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. That actually comes from God. Freely give, because we freely received so, so much. Jesus also says this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Or last thing in Luke, he says this, give and you will receive, and your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more, running over and poured out into your lap. But here, Jesus teaches something really counterintuitive, something that our world will never ever teach us. But what he teaches us is this, is that generosity in our lives creates space for more, actually, that when we are generous, it actually creates space for more. Listen to what he says. And your gift will return in full. Press down, shaking together, to make room for more. That's what he says, to make room for more. But the focus, again, it's not so that we can then have more to hoard. It's so that we can have more to share. That's the point. Generosity expands our spirit, actually. Which is why you have never met a mature Christian in your life who is not generous. The generosity and maturity in Christ go directly together. That if you're not willing to give, chances are you have not really truly received from God or understood the depth of what you have received from God. So generosity actually is an aspect of maturity in Christ. So I want to unpack this a little bit more about how we're called to be generous and why. And to do that, I want to really focus in on one chapter here today. I want to take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up there or it's going to come up on the screen. And I want to kind of work through this passage a little bit. Just that we can be reminded of the importance of generosity because as i said our world doesn't teach generosity our world teaches greed subtly and directly all the time and we know that this isn't the path to life so let's take a look in first uh, second corinthians chapter 9. remember this this is paul speaking remember this a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop remember he's setting this up in an agrarian society Right? Where they know, if you just plant a little bit, that's not going to be helpful. right? It says this, A farmer who plants a few seeds will only get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Isn't this first? You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Instead, God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. This is a passage i want to take a look at here today and I especially want to take a look at this idea that god loves somebody who cheerfully gives who gives out of like joy who gives out of like gratefulness i want to explain why that might be that first i think the reason that god really um, loves a cheerful giver is because then we're actually living and acting in the way that god does that god doesn't give out of like dour faced reluctance god gives out of joy god gives to us out of this sense of abundance and hope and so when we start to do those things, we're actually starting to move in the rhythm and the way of God, to live in His way of being. One of the other reasons I think that God loves people who give and He gives cheerfully is just this. And you might not have thought about it this way, but it's true, that giving is an act of trusting. Right? That giving is an actual act of trusting in God. That when we give, what we are really doing is we are saying to God that we trust in You for also our provision, that we realize how much you have given to us. And so out of response for that, we are going to share with others that giving is an act of trusting. That so often, I think two of the reasons, two of the reasons why we struggle to live generously is because of fear and control. Okay, fear and control. That we often choose not to live generously, one, out of a sense of fear. Fear of scarcity, fear of not having enough, fear that God can't provide, just fear directing so much. Or secondly, we sometimes actually... Uh, choose not to live generously out of a desire for control. That we have this almost subtle idea that the more we have, the more in control we are. That we can better manage outcomes if we have more. I just want to say that these two things are lies, actually, fear and control. And whenever fear and a desire to control start to direct your life, it will not lead you into more life, but more limited life. That Instead, the way forward is with generosity. And giving, giving is an act that breaks fear, that breaks that desire of control, and actually is an act of trust within God. It actually kind of opens you up. And so the passage says that God loves a cheerful giver. And that um, word cheerful is a good translation. Um, In Greek though, it's actually the word hilaros um, for where in English we get the word hilarious from. It's actually a bit stronger than just the word like cheerful. It actually has this idea of like joy impacted within it, of like deep gratefulness or like openness and just kind of excitement. That, you know, if you've ever like had this moment like a really, really deep, beautiful, like laughing time where you're just kind of like open to things. Do you know what I mean? Like was like a good like belly laugh where you almost can't like stop it. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Right. Um, this last night uh, we we're watching, obviously, the Leaf game with my 13 year old and we have this um, puck that he was given. It's all metal. And It weighs about like seven pounds and it has like Austin Matthews and the Leafs engraved upon it And so we're watching the game and he's like rubbing this like puck as if it's like a rabbit's foot for luck like desperately hoping that the Leafs, you know, will do better or whatever and um, As he's doing this he gets so excited at one point that he drops it and it lands on an unfortunate body point part for a 13 year old boy <laughs> And I gotta tell you I had not laughed that hard in <laughs> Like years, it was just like, just laughing and laughing. And laugh. And I bring this up because this is just the most recent example of it. But whenever you actually get in a space like that where you are laughing, you know what you're actually doing? You're like open, aren't you? Like you're not closed off. Like I was open to Hudson. I was laughing with him. And then he started to laugh. He's like, I'm an idiot. I'm like, yes, you are. Um, <laughs> that's the right parenting choice, I think, right to say? And we're just laughing together, and you're connected. And you know what else you do in that moment? Like you're present to each other, right? You're just present in that space. You cannot be laughing and also thinking about an agenda for work the next day, right? This is kind of the idea that God's getting at. That if we're gonna give, it needs to be out of this space of like openness, out of this space of gratefulness, out of this space of like connection to him, to the world, to being present, that this is what God desires actually. God does not desire reluctant, angry, dour face giving. And this, this is where the church has gone totally off base, right? I'm speaking now about the church in Western North America. Just notice with me what the passage says. It's very direct, okay? It says this, you must each decide in your own heart how much to give, okay? And then it says this, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Here's where the church has gone offside so often when it comes to money and why I struggle with talking about it, just mainly because of the background and the history of it. That so often when the church has talked about money, it has come through guilt, pressure, and shame. And we disagree with this? That is wrong, amen? That's wrong. Because how are we actually supposed to talk about it? Out of joy. Out of gratefulness. There should be no pressure ever to give. According to, you know, Paul and Holy Scripture, right? It's not out of pressure. It's not out of reluctance. It's out of desire that we receive so much from God, so we're going to act in a godly way. It comes out of gratefulness and appreciation. I just think that's so clear from this passage, and I think it's so needed. Next thing I just want to notice in this passage is how there is a principle in it that can get really misinterpreted, but I also don't want us to miss it, okay? That in this passage, I want to be really clear with this. You cannot give to God to try to get more from him, okay? This is not a quick, rich kind of scheme thing, okay? It's not like you can kind of just give to God to then get things, right? You can't actually give to God out of selfish motives and expect to receive more from him. Just follow with me. He already knows why you're giving. He knows your heart, right? You can't like trick him in this way. That's not what's going on here. But there is a principle, and this I don't want to miss. There is a principle that more generosity creates more space in your life for receiving, okay? It's not give to get, but more generosity creates more space in your life for receiving. Listen to the passage again. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give, right? That's true for all of us. When it comes to generosity, we have to decide those things, right? And don't give reluctantly in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And listen to this. And then God will provide, generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. To share with others. That's why we receive, so that we might share. That there is this principle And this is just true. And I can tell you from a personal experience, I have actually seen it happen in my life, that the more generous you get, right, the more open you get, you actually sometimes receive more, but not for you, but so you can share more and keep that movement of generosity going, right? And here's the principle for why. Because when you are generous, you are actually opening yourself up to connecting with God and to be able to receive from God. That generosity is trusting. Generosity is then opening yourself up to receive from him as well. Or to put it kind of differently, if we refuse to be generous with God, that's essentially what we're doing, or with anyone, if we refuse to be generous, we're living actually kind of cut off from him. We're saying, no, 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 I'm in control of this. No, 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 I can handle this all on my own. No, no, no. And it stops his movement in our lives because we're actually not being connected to him. That giving opens you up to connecting and receiving from God. And again, 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 I want to be clear that we're not giving to get. This is not that kind of thing. It's just the natural promise and principle that as we act in generosity, we are living in a godly way, and this opens us up to him so that we might also receive from him to then again share more with others because the whole point is to have the movement of generosity that spreads throughout the world, right? That's the whole point of things. So what do we see in this passage? Well, I think we see really three things I want to share with you that I think matter for this idea of how we should approach money because all of us, whether we have a lot or a little, right, have to actually manage money and finances and all of that. And from this passage, I think we see three things. That giving is an act of trusting and living like God, okay? That God loves cheerful givers, right? Out of joy, out of appreciation, not out of reluctance, not out of like guilt and pressure and that junk. And that third being generous opens us up to connect and receive from God as well. It opens us up to connect and receive from God as well. So what does this mean for us here today? as always, there's a main point, and then we're gonna try to work this out practically, okay? We're gonna try to figure out how might we live this out. Because I do think it matters for us to live with generosity. It will make your life better and every life around you better. And I think we know this deep down. Well, today, what's my main point? It's really simple. It's that we are called to be people of generosity. That's my main point. We are called to be people of generosity. And I don't think this should surprise anybody, amen? <laughs> right? Like as a Christian, to think this is how we should live. We should live with generosity. And so today, I want to share with you then, practically, what does this look like? I want to share with you how to be a generous person in at least three areas. Okay, I'm going to talk about finances, because we do need to talk about finances. But this is also true. To be generous doesn't mean just being generous with finances. It also means being generous with your time and your skills and abilities. So I want to talk about those three areas, finances, time, and skills and ability. I want to begin by talking about being generous in our finances. Because as I said, that being generous is bigger than just our finances but you cannot be a generous person without it actually involving your finances as well, So the first thing I wanna really share with you is just this, that if we're gonna be generous people, you know what this means? It means that generosity needs to become a habit. That's what it means. That to be truly generous people, it can't just be like a once and done thing, right? I think sometimes it is easier to give, perhaps if we have excess, perhaps if we're in the right moment and our heartstrings get, you know, tugged with something, perhaps there's a need that we see right in front of us, and we give to those things that is good and that is not wrong but if you're going to be truly generous people it can't just be a once-and-done thing it needs to be a continual ongoing regular thing that if you're going to break the habit of greed in our lives we need to start something else which is a posture and practice and rhythm of generosity that's what I want to invite you into that when Paul is talking here about being generous he doesn't mean just give once he's talking about make this a habit in your life right why because we have freely been given so much, so we should then freely give. Generosity needs to become a habit. If we're gonna live a lifestyle of generosity, it means we need that habit of giving regularly, deeply, and consistently. So to help with this, today I'm going to give you a challenge. And as I said, there is no extra offerings or things like that, so don't need to be worried about that. My challenge, though, is this. I wanna invite each and every one of you to choose to give regularly or more sacrificially today. That's what I want to invite you into. To choose to give regularly or more sacrificially if you're already regularly giving today. That's specifically what I want to invite you to do, especially if you're not giving regularly. And by that I mean like weekly, every other month, or at least monthly. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to try giving and living generously for just 90 days. This is my invitation for you. And it's also a challenge. I want to invite you and challenge you to try giving regularly, like weekly, monthly, bi-weekly, whatever, something, for 90 days, to just try it out, to just see what might happen if you live with generosity, to see if you kind of put this into practice, to see what God might do in your life and the lives around you. And I can tell you honestly, through seeking to live with more generosity in our own personal lives with me and Krista, it has changed how we live, that we've actually seen God um, actually just alter so much stuff in our lives by seeking to live with generosity. I wanna invite you to just give this a try, okay? Just give it a try as an experiment. I mean, in some ways, we are willing to sign up for any current trial period thing all the time right now, right? It'll be like, oh, yeah, I want to watch Yellowstone. Sure, then we'll sign up for Paramount Plus for that, you know, free one month, whatever it is, or, you know, this or that, or I recently signed up for a gym for the first time. I mean, we'll try anything for a little bit of time, right? The gym thing is not going to continue for forever, trust me. Um, (laughs) But we'll try anything a little bit. I want to invite you to just try living generously, Because in many ways, you know what it's like to live with selfishness and stinginess. We see it around us all the time. Why not just try this as a practice and a habit? That's what we want to invite you into today. And so specifically today, we kind of want to launch a 90-day giving challenge for all of us to try out giving regularly or to give more sacrificially if you haven't. We're calling this giving challenge Building Our Home. And the reason is because it will build your home on generosity, which is the right thing, It'll actually build our home here collectively, the church, on generosity, which is the right thing. It'll lead to more life for you and for me and for everyone around us. Generosity is the way forward. So I want to invite you to try that this week for the next 90 days. Now, if you are new here, um, especially if this is your first Sunday, you would not know this, um, that our values are three things. We believe in grace, vulnerability, and discipleship. And because we believe in vulnerability, and as you all know, I seek to be as honest and as vulnerable from the stage every single Sunday, as much as I can, I have to share with you a little bit around my heart behind this challenge to actually step out and to try giving for 90 days. That if I'm really honest with you all, truthfully, I think you know this already, there is no topic I would rather talk less about (laughs) than money. I would rather preach on any other topic I would rather preach on sex, revelation, or any other difficult portion in the Bible than talk about money. The reason for that for me is because of how poorly the church has talked about it, that sometimes I struggle with trying to address things directly and clearly. I also sometimes get a little bit self-conscious about talking about money because I receive a wage from the church and I don't want there to be any conflict of interest stuff. And there isn't, but I I just bring all this up with you because what I think I have done unintentionally as your pastor, and this is what I need to own, is that because of my reluctance to preach on money, I think I've done you a disservice by not being as clear and direct as I should be with it. Because I know that generosity has changed my life, and without me telling you that, I might have been robbing you of some of the spaces where you experience God. So I just wanna be really clear then today, Uh, we tithe here. I think you should give here. I think you should try out this challenge for 90 days. I think it'll make a difference in your life, and I think it'll make a difference in the lives around you. And that when you give here, what you're really giving towards, it's not just our amazing programs, although we have so many of them. Everything from Celebrate Recovery and mental health work that is just incredible, to all of the day camps where kids are finding like Jesus, to our youth programs. What you're really giving towards when you give here, if I can put it in one word, is you're giving towards grace. That's what you're doing because I don't know if you know this, but our church is founded on grace. This is what matters to us. We have been operating on the belief that grace changes everything since 1895. That's when our church was started by two women in the 1890s on the foundation of grace. And when you give, that's what you're given towards, really. I know this, because this week I received an email from someone who shared with me a bit of their story. They shared how they'd grown up in a very religious conservative environment. But that environment actually taught them taught them that they weren't really loved by God, taught them that God was angry with them, taught them really all the wrong things of legalism and religiosity and an unwillingness to actually receive grace. It was what they'd been told, but through coming to here and actually meeting you and finding Jesus in a new and deep way, they said they've experienced grace now that's absolutely changed their life, that they know without a shadow of doubt that God loves them and that that has changed their life. And that this is what you're giving towards. Because what we know here is what Romans teaches so clearly it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Amen? It all starts with grace. So I just want to invite you if you've received some grace, maybe try out this 90 day challenge. And if you don't like it after 90 days, then that's fine. You know, remember what Paul says each of you must decide on your own. Each of you must decide on your own how much to give. I just wanted to be upfront with all of that, knowing. That I've shied away from things due to my own personal discomfort. I don't think that's fair for you. Um, So with that, I'm going to invite you to give to a 90 day challenge. Okay. All right, now let's move on from that because I get weird with that. Okay. Because it's not just about finances. So I actually want to talk about another area where we should be generous. And this is an area where I think our world, I think our world's awful in many ways, uh, where our world is teaching us something really, really wrong that there's this idea that is floating around in culture and society all the time that I just think needs to be like cut out. And do you wanna know what the idea is? It's this thing. I don't know if you've heard it before. It's called me time. Anybody ever heard this phrase? I just need some me time, okay? I wanna be clear with this. I am in no way against rejuvenation, self care, you know, rest and renewal. Just so we're clear, the Bible has a monopoly on that because it started it with something called the Sabbath actually, okay? (laughs) So the Bible is for rest, rejuvenation, self-care. Me time, though, is different, if you haven't noticed. What me time is, is really that we are creating an idol out of our time, that we own it, that we own it. And this is ridiculous if you think about it for a moment, because you can't create it. You don't really control it. It's all a gift, but we have this idea that we own it, and we just need all of this kind of me time. The reason I bring this up is because I actually think it's creating within us an inability sometimes to serve, to reach out, because we hoard our time. And that's just as bad or as wrong as hoarding finances as well. I want to invite you to consider this. I think one of the ways we should be generous is with time, actually. C.S. Lewis wrote a book um, 80 years ago. And it's called The Screwtape Letters. And he kind of sets up this fictional kind of thing, where he pretends to be he has an older demon writing to a younger demon. That's kind of the idea of the book. Trying to teach this younger demon the ways that we can uh, trap humanity and he talks about time and I want to read to you it because I think it's very um, Relevant, even though it was wrote 80 years ago. So some of the language is a bit older, but it's um, I think it's important C.S. Lewis says this again writing pretending as a demon about how we can ensnare humanity says this you must zealously guard in his mind the curious assumption that my time is my own that my time is my own. Let him have this feeling that he starts each day as the lawful possessor of 24 hours. Let him feel as a grievous tax that a portion of this property, which he has to give over to his employers, and as a generous donation, the further portion that he has allowed to religious duties. He's saying there, like, let us feel as if we own it all and that we're giving it out as we so choose in generous ways, as if we are the creators of time. He says this, But what humanity must never be permitted to doubt is that the total form which these deductions have been made was in some mysterious sense his own personal birthright, that we own our time. He says, you here have a delicate task. The assumption which you want him to go on making is so absurd that if it is at once questioned, even we cannot find a shred of argument within it. He says this this is just true that man can neither make nor retain one moment of time. It all comes to him as pure gift, but we never see that. We don't think about that, We own our own time. I wanna suggest to you, if you wanna be generous, it involves giving of your time. Imagine what C.S. Lewis might say today with like, I don't know, social media, Instagram and binging, right? About all this idea that it's this kind of me and we own it. I think our time has become an idol rather than something that we give towards the benefit of the greater community. I want to suggest if we're going to live generously it involves our finances also involves our time lastly i think it also involves our skills and abilities that here's what i believe about you even if we've never met and if you want to meet i'll be at the door i'd love to meet with you okay if you've never met here's what i believe about you i believe that every single one of us has something to share with the world around us amen right every single one of us has something to share in the world around us that you've been given some gifts skills or abilities i want to invite you to think through what gifts, skills, or abilities has God maybe given to you that you can then give to others to see their flourishing, their life, their hope? That I think we should be generous with the gifts and skills that God has given to us. That's what I want to invite you to think through. That when God has given you either talent, skills, abilities, things you've developed, it's not just for you, it's actually for the world around you. That if you're going to be generous, it means, it means giving of our finances, it means giving of our time, it also means giving of our skills and abilities. I want to invite you to think about that idea of skills and abilities quite widely. Because I think that there are some amazing skills and abilities in here that some of you have that I do not. And it's beautiful when they are actually given and shared. will give you an example. There's an accountant uh, here in our church that I know. Um, and what this accountant does on their spare time is they often meet with people who are struggling financially to help them budget and to make wise plans going forward. They don't charge anything. They just do this because they have that expertise as a way of serving the world. That's a good thing to do, amen? If you have that skill. There's somebody here, his name is Matt. Matthew has an amazing skill with math. I do not have this, he does. So you know what he does on his off time? He tutors kids in math as a way of serving the world around them. There's somebody here uh, named uh, Natalie, she cooks. And so on Friday nights, there's a cooking class to teach people how to cook, right? This is a way of using all these variety of skills. Or as I've shared here before, there's an amazing, I'll put it this way, uh, person. He is an urban gardener uh, extraordinaire. And usually, at least once a year, uh, he comes over and gives me a giant bucket. That's a, that's a planter. I'm not a gardener, as you can tell. Okay? <laughs> but it's full of, like, lettuce and stuff, right? And it's amazing. This is a way of using gifts and skills to improve the world. Or think of everybody here who does worship or tech or all these different areas. What I'm saying to you is that you have been given gifts, skills, and abilities. They're not just for you. That's what I'm saying. They're for the world around you. And this is the way to live. It's not with selfishness and hoarding this stuff. It's actually like, okay, God, what have you given me that I might be able to participate in with the world around us? So what I wanna suggest to you really clearly today is this, is that generosity is the way forward in life, right? It's not selfishness, it's not greed, it's generosity. And the way to do that is to be generous with your finances, to be generous with your time, and to be generous with your skills. So practically today, what is my challenge? It's really, really simple. It's actually just to give of your finances, time, skills, and abilities. Just to give of your finances, time, skills, and abilities. So with your finances, as I said, I want to invite you to sign up for our giving challenge for 90 days. As you leave, there is a postcard. You can pick one up. It has instructions on it. And you can decide however much, like, or whatever. Right? That's up to you. Right? It's out of cheerfulness. It's out of gratefulness. I want to invite you to consider that. I also want to invite you to consider how can you give of your time? Is there a neighbor that you maybe need to just meet with or someone you can encourage with or whatever it might be? And then last but not least, how can you give of your skills or abilities? Because as I said, I think you have something to share with the world. And the beautiful part about a room like this and this many people is really that we have all these different aspects that we have. It's when we come together giving and sharing that then we see real hope that happens. So today, my challenge is really simple. Would you give of your finances, time, skills, and abilities? And then next week, we're going to talk really practically about how do we manage finances so that we might actually have more to be able to give more. That's what we're going to take a look at. What are some principles that we can learn to better manage our finances so that we might be able to be a better source of good and impact in the world? And so with that, would you join with me in prayer here today? God, I ask. I ask, would you just give us courage, Lord, in this conversation? Would you give us courage to be generous? God, I pray especially for all those of us who might be struggling. I pray, Lord, might not you continue to provide for us? May we continue to see you moving within our lives? And I pray most of all, God, though, if there's any spirit of greed, might that be removed? Might it be replaced with generosity? Because that is the way to live. So might we, Lord, continue to follow you and to live generously and full of gratefulness for all the gifts that we have received and for the grace that you continue to give each and every one of us. And I pray this all in the wonderful name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.